Hello and welcome to the Body Electric Podcast. This is episode 35. My name is Nathan Hiltz, your, your host. And uh, today my special guest is RJ Sachathananthan. I first knew him as a trombonist but uh, and then later as a bassist. Uh, but in talking to him for this podcast, I found out that he's actually been playing lots of guitar. So uh, we had a very interesting chat. RJ is very focused on education and his pedagogy, and he has a, a unique viewpoint, and I think a very interesting and valuable viewpoint. So um, I really hope that you listen to this and get some great ideas for your how you can work at home. And um, if you'd like to know more about me and this and hear more podcasts, you can visit my website, www.nathanhiltz.com. And without further ado, here's my chat with RJ. Hey, RJ, how's it going, man? Hey, buddy. Nice to see you and hear you in real time. Good to see you, man. Yeah. It's been too long. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this with me. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I thought we'd just get started. Um, I mean, when we uh, I got in touch with you, you mentioned you might want to talk about pedagogy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought the first thing I'd ask you is, how did you learn when you were coming up? What kind of pedagogy did you experience when you were a that's, young That's actually a great person? question, because I feel like so much of the way I teach now is like, to be honest, kind of a reaction, like a, a reaction to what I realized was like very limited or flawed in the way I learned. Um, so, you know, like many people, I grew up in like a musical house uh, in terms of like my parents weren't really like pro musicians, but my mom loved to sing and we listened to music and there were stories that, you know, I would sing along with tunes when I was like two years old or whatever. But really for me, you know, I didn't have any formal training um, of any kind. And my, like, like many people, I think, my first experience with, like, playing in a structured way was, like, band class. And so I was lucky enough that we got to start band in grade four in Scarborough, where I grew up. So, you know, little whatever nine-year-old me, and I just kind of got handed a trombone. I don't even know if I picked it, but that's what I got. Um, and immediately, you know, what was great is, like, all of my friends bought into it. Um, we all loved it. We all tried hard. It was a social thing for us. And it wasn't just like the two or three kids that were like nerds about it. Like everyone did it and it was something we bought into and we were, I think, pretty good at as a group and we reinforced each other. That's so just so a great. really great band program. And, and then at grade four, that's, that's a little bit younger. Well, that was before it, the mega city amalgamation. Scarborough had its own music program and they really pushed the band. And there's still, man, like there's so many people that came out of that program, like Mark Laver, who you know, um, uh, Nicole Rampersad, uh, Suresh Singratnam, if you remember him. Um, so like uh, Braxton Hicks, mm. we were all in the same, came up through the same kind of pipeline uh, through this amazing public education system, which mm. was wild. And then we were really lucky that in grade seven and grade eight, our music teacher was actually, his name was John Charles. He used to play in ex- the Excelsior Swing Band. Oh. Yeah. And so he knows like Glenn and like, you know, he knows all those cats. And uh, so he got some great itinerant teachers to come in and work with our jazz band. So Del Deco. Del Deco. Uh, yeah, of course. Nice. Yeah, you know, and uh, he was running our jazz band when I was grade seven. And then... Um, Gord Myers, uh, a great trombone player, he was also coming in. And weirdly enough, my mom is friends with his wife. So I was able, so around that same time, I was able to start taking lessons with Gord at a young age. So again, super privileged in, in terms of having a great program and access to good teachers, which is mm. awesome, you know? And then it really led me, you know, I did music camp and then I knew I really wanted to do it. And then next thing you know, I'm at U of T and 
you know, the story continues. So yeah, yeah. you know, for you know, for me, it was a little different. Like I had my band friends and I had my school friends. Mm-hmm. It was totally, and the two never mixed. Yes, really. or yes. if they did mix, eventually yeah. some of these ones would drop out. You know, yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah. No, yeah. for for me, it was great. It was such a great social thing, and that's and cool. that's probably why I stuck with it. You know, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you know, basically. Uh, you know, and I did stuff like the Yamaha All-Star Band, and I did one year at the Humber Pro, uh, Community School, like my last year of high school, which is mm. amazing. So, like, I think uh, it was like, I think uh, Alex Dean was our combo leader, and I was in a band with, like, Joe Shabison and, like, Chris Donnelly and, like, all right. these great players, even before I got to U of T. So, right. you know. And so it was a pretty sure thing that you wanted to go into music. I eh? think so. It was that thing of, you know, when I think back now, I there's probably any number of things I could have maybe wanted to do. But I think at that time, especially back then, you know, in the late nineties, it's like the scene was still really good. You know, like it really felt like this really positive thing and it just felt, it made sense, you know? And, Mm. and so, yeah, I walked in and and it was that thing too. When I showed up, I already had like a really strong peer group of people I've been playing with and hanging out with for years, which Mm. was, which really made it, it was an awesome time. Like I had That's a great, great time. So, That's so yeah. good. And uh, so, but you didn't get into bass until later, right? Yeah, it was like maybe my late twenties. Um, it was more, so, I mean, getting back to the whole thing, I think I was really limited. Um, and now when I try to teach, I was like, I think only playing one instrument really like limited so many aspects of my musicality. Um, you know, things like time, harmony, um, mm. form, like all those things that, I think as a rhythm section player, especially like when you're growing up and playing in rock bands and stuff, you develop an intuitive sense for those things, right? Whereas I think horn players, it's so much reading, 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 reading. Everything's reading. Even the way we improvised was strongly based on see a chord, play a thing, see a chord, play a scale. And, you know, and that's kind of, you know, again, one of the limitations I really felt. And so, you know, once I got out of jazz school and I was just playing music and having fun playing music and not worrying about jazz, I was like, oh man, I loved rock and when I was growing up, I loved R&B and it's like, and it's cool to play an instrument that like lets you feel like you're part of the, the core of it, you know, and I just did it for fun and then, you know, I just started like playing with people and I already knew a lot of great musicians who were like kind enough to let me play with them and mm. then... Yeah, yeah, you know, I, as a guitarist, you know, yeah. I like to be busy when yeah. I'm on stage. Yeah. Like, I always think of a horn player having to oh. put down the instrument at certain times, and I wouldn't know what to do with myself if yeah. I had to stop I know. playing. So I can, I feel you. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. And so bass was what you resonated with. Like, a lot of guys I know do piano, yeah. and a few do guitar. Yeah. But bass, that's that's interesting. I, I mean, for, I guess the low register, right? Yeah, you know, sense. it's funny. For me, to be, like, totally honest, I'm very, like, clumsy, and I'm not very coordinated. And, um... Part of that is because I never really did anything that required dexterity until my 20s, right? Like, I was playing this one instrument that was, like, pretty mechanically clumsy, you know? And again, we all play the piano we need to play for school and for writing and arranging, right? But Mm. I never really had fine motor skills, to be blunt. And so when I started playing guitar, which is, like, just a thing you do for fun, I was like, oh, man, you know, I, I sucked at picking. I sucked at really having that dexterity. And when I picked up the bass... It was sort of like Duplo versus Lego in terms of like, you know, <laughs> that that idea of like, oh, man, the notes are it's really clear where your hand goes. It's really clear where the notes are. It's mm. symmetrical. There's no B string, you know. So it kind of like was this like doorway into me learning how to use my hands and have a bit of dexterity, you know. Right. right. And then what's funny, the last four or five years, I've mostly been playing guitar because I think I was able to build up the skills and the confidence and now I'm like really into playing guitar more than anything. Mm. Like, and do you find like the yeah. uh, so the, does the guitar and the bass really enrich your trombone playing? Like, do you I think, think you're so, way better? I think so. Yeah, I, it's 
I would say that like the biggest thing I got, um, yeah, it's like you're internalizing form, you're internalizing time. You you like you learn tunes in a different way. Mm. And I know for me, guitar was really a huge thing because I feel like the way I like to think and play about music is more coming for like an R and B and like a rock kind of background than say bebop in the way I like think about music. And so much of the language of like guitar with bends and slides, like the stuff you can't really do as well on bass, I find that's really what I was trying to already sound like on trombone. Like that's what I was going for. Mm. And it made me like, and I, I know that you know, like even when I was in jazz school, like the way you're trying to like, everyone's about like the whole JJ Johnson, Slide Hampton, the Curtis Fuller, super clean, like super like, you know, right down the middle, clean, 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 clean. And then I realized when I got out of school that I didn't really want to play like that and that I had more success as a musician emphasizing the, like, more soulful, like, bendy, kind of greasy aspect of the horn. Maybe even the vocalistic. Yeah, well, that's I exactly mean, it, man, yeah. you know? And, and then that, that lead guitar or that solo guitar R&B blues sound, it's all the same material, that bend from the four to the five, the flat seven to the one, you know, you know, like all that kind of stuff. It just, it lies so nicely on both instruments. And I feel like um, each informs the other. Like, ironically enough, I feel like the language I was trying to play on trombone was that guitar language. And then when I started learning to play like rock solos on guitar, I'm like, oh yeah, that's the thing I'm already sort of hearing. And Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Man. And it's, so then it, you get the same lines on the, on the horn. Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. And then you realize, you know, that it's all coming from the same place, which is basically like the black, the gospel, the vocal tradition, mm. right? That uh, is sort of the DNA of everything from country to blues to rock to rap, you know? Like, like there's that same, you know, yeah, the DNA, man. It's all oh, there. Yeah. 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 I love listening to B.B. Uh, King singing. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I love his guitar playing, of course, yeah. but uh, the, the rhythmic feel of his singing, I, I have such a hard mm -hmm. time sorting out what the rhythms are. Yeah. And it's like, it's just, it's so deep. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's funny, you know, I know one of the best things we had in Murley's improv class was like, he made us perfectly match a singer playing ahead. That was like the assignment. And every time I've done that on whatever instrument, it's just like, it's, you, you learn so much so quickly, you know? Mm. And, uh, you know, I was working really hard. I think I did a Sinatra thing where I, I, I sang it and I played it. And then I think I did, uh, later on in my master's, I tried to do, there's this amazing R&B singer named Kim Burrell, who's like, like runs for days, like that amazing control and soulfulness and, Hmm. and connection to the music and and just as a horn player like jumping in there and trying to like emulate it it just my feel and my approach got so much better and again this is someone who spent a decade trying to not bend a note trying to play perfectly in tune hmm. and now i'm like oh man like you know it turns out <laughs> yeah. the slide is the best thing you can have on an instrument you oh know? that's great i mean like that's derek great. trucks as guitar players right like that's it man like his his control and his approach with the slide and he even talks about Indian music, right? Mm -hmm. Like, there's some great clips where he's checked that stuff out. And, and I think there's, again, that idea of musical DNA. You know, the melisma, the runs that a gospel singer makes and that an Indian classical singer makes. Mm. There's this inner kind of connection to both of it that makes me feel the same way when I hear it, you know? And, mm. and yeah, yeah, Derek Trucks, you can really hear it that he has ears. Oh, my like goodness. Like, he hears everything. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. you know, that's cool. Well, yeah. what, what do you think? Do you want to play a tune yeah, on the trombone? Let's, maybe yeah, let's start, start on the horn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, 
Yeah, a little after you've gone, maybe. Let's do it. Um, yeah, I was inspired. I'm sure you've been seeing that clip going around of the Emmett Cohen, that band that's been playing in New York. No. Oh, dude. Yeah, it's uh, this live this. stream uh, they do, and they record it like really high quality, and Ooh. they play this tune, and uh, um, yeah, I'll I'll send you the link after, but, but it's like definitely worth checking out. Okay. And uh, I've always loved this tune, and I've, I actually learned this tune for today because I've heard it a bunch, and I've never played it, and I just wanted to learn it. I get to play it uh, uh, in trad jazz groups. Yes, it's exactly. kind of an old tune, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But it's a killing. It's like a very hip tune, right? Oh, Ironically. yeah. Yeah. yeah, extra four bars at the end too. Yes, exactly. Hopefully, I'll keep them in the form for you. Ah, uh, well, we'll see. Again, I folded as I was saying to you earlier. My uh, I have a three month old who hates the trombone, so I barely have played <laughs> since he's been born. So yeah. <laughs> all okay. right. Um, all right. One, two, one, two, oh, one, two, three, four. Yeah. 
So I think I might have gotten turned around at the end, but that was fun. <laughs> All right, man. Wow. This is uh, just for those of you uh, listening right now. We are using uh, Jamulus uh, on a server set up by SyncSpace.Live, mm-hmm. which um, is uh, a low latency solution, uh, kind of scrambled and put together during the pandemic by a guy named Adrian Cho. And it's eerie, isn't it, RJ, that we can do this? Oh know? man, it's it's actually kind of surreal. I mean, it's funny, you know, it's like. I also haven't played with another human in seven months, maybe. Um, and so it's like, is it the latency or is it my bad time? <laughs> you know, it's probably not the latency. It, Let's it just say it's the latency. Yeah, we'll say it's the latency. That could be our explanation. Um, but yeah, it's wild. I, I was experimenting with uh, my buddy, John Pittman, who I play with in the Heavyweights Brass Band. Um, he's trying to set it up because he's a teacher and he's thinking, you know, in case things aren't back to normal in September, he wants to still rehearse. So we actually tried it out last night for the first time, um, kind of ironed out the kinks and all that. And, you know, we played a little bit together on a duo kind of setting. And the, the sound quality wasn't great because I don't think we had a server as good as the one we're on right now. Like right now it's like crystal clear, which is amazing. Um, but the fun, the fun part after we kind of figured our stuff out was we just jumped on a server from the public list that had people in it. And we ended up actually kind of crashing a rehearsal that a piano player and a singer were doing as a duo. And they were like right in the middle of Ain't Misbehavin'. Um, and I, I, was, I was playing bass with John so we could kind of play duo. And I just sort of jumped in on the bridge. And they were like, like what's going on? And then we played yeah. and then we talked after. And then we ended up basically having a session where That's we nice. called about That's three nice. or four tunes. And it, it was surreal. You know? what, what do you think about this? Like, I mean, if, if it gets good enough, right? Mm-hmm. And say we all got VR helmets on in a few years and... And, you know, the latency is zero because yeah. we have 5G net or 6G or whatever it is. Yeah. What do you think about the fact that maybe, I mean, you're, you're from Toronto, basically. Yeah. So, like, I mean, we mostly have to all move to Toronto to be part yeah. of the scene and we got to move to Montreal. Mm-hmm. What do you think if that's just over? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit of a math and science nerd. So, I mean, I did some reading about this stuff. And I still think there's the one thing that's going to keep this from being truly global, unfortunately, is like the literal speed of light. Right. So so that's as as we all know, that's like the cosmic speed limit. And so we've these these servers are doing everything they can. So we've like computing powers as low as as slow as uh, fast as it can be. Ethernet connections mean we're as like connected as we can be. So every kind of like speed bump is, I think, almost as fast as it can be. And now we're literally running into the limit of the speed of light. So unfortunately, I don't think we can do this with someone in Japan or Australia. Like, mm. I think ever, unfortunately. But I think, again, we were playing with people in Philly, uh, I think, in New Jersey yesterday, and it felt pretty good, you know? And I think the biggest thing that's going to improve, um, for, less from a latency standpoint, is more like uh, um, the quality, right? Because as bandwidth gets better, we can still send more information. Mm. The latency is going to be a hard limit, but instead of sending 2 megabytes a second, we could send 10 megabytes a second. 
which means that the sound quality can even approach studio quality. Right. Which means that I think for recording, this is really going to revolutionize recording because mm. um, the cool thing is, is like, you know, as I'm sure you've done a bunch of, the only way we can really record on our own is someone does it to a click, send it to the next person, that person records, sends it to the next person, which sounds great. But as you know, like, especially if you're doing anything like creative or impro imp improvised, you know, you need to be hearing stuff in real time. And I can envision a, uh, a future, or you can even do it now, where everyone is at home in their, like, nice recording with their nice mic that they like. And you just do a bunch of takes, and everyone's recording locally to their machine in mm -hmm. really, really high quality. But um, you're still able to play off each other. You, you get that interaction, right? Yeah, like... you finish the session. You mail all your files to whichever whoever's putting it together. You line it up, and then you basically have a record that is live off the floor, but everyone's in a different room. Right. And again, within a city, I think the latency would be so low that it wouldn't matter, right? So, mm. so you know, I think that's pretty sweet. I think that's going to be amazing. And then, and frankly, as someone who's tired and lazy with a small child, the idea of like, let's face it, there are some rehearsals where you don't need it to be perfect and you just need to go over form and run parts. Oh yeah. You oh, know? you're totally right about that. I yeah. mean, especially for rehearsing, you know? Yeah. And then yeah. obviously like, you know, if you're trying to write or develop or like really make something happen, there's no substitute for being together. But as we know, you know, as sort of freelancers, so much of what rehearsing is, it's really just logistics of how many times are we doing this? What are we doing this? We've luckily all played enough that it's not like we don't need to like, we don't need to have that like, super duper connection to feel like the gig will be okay yeah you know yeah, especially if the band already knows exactly. what it's like to play with each other yeah you know? yeah yeah so so tell me rj like how do you provide like you were talking about how doubling really helped you and mm -hmm. some different concepts helped you how do you give this to your students uh yeah that's a great question you know and and i mean first of all the thing I, that i love um is that it's great for me because you know in one day i can teach four different instruments so i never burn out you know we all get that burnout when it's like the 10th time we're doing like whatever Hal Leonard exercise four, you know, whatever it is. Right. So that I enjoy. But the biggest thing is I think the way I teach, and I think the reason I have success with like kids as young as four and as old as 80 is like, um, I try not to think about details and I try to think about more general, like larger musical concepts. And I think about, um, like the big thing for me, and it's sort of my personal crusade is I think that we equate music lessons with reading lessons and that's the whole mode of teaching music is like read this book read this book play this thing and so many people reject it and i think they rightly reject it because you know it's like reading is helpful but i think it's only helpful for like a certain subset of musicians that really need to like do it i think the art of learning music is actually done better in this more holistic way that's more about hear what you play sing it, play it, play it by ear. So my whole approach is I don't use tab and I don't use notation unless the student needs it or wants it. Um, so instead, everything I do is based on an oral tradition. I play, they play, I play, they play. And instead of giving them books, I make them custom YouTube videos. So every student at the end of every lesson, I take five minutes and record a video of me singing, playing, whatever. And I'm like, your homework is to jam with this. you know. And then if I'm trying to help a kid work on the ears, I'll turn my camera off and play what I want them to play mm. um, on whatever instrument, you know? And and even when it comes to stuff like theory, I really think we, we overthink theory. And so the way I teach all my students is I say, um, I teach them Nashville. 
whatever instrument they're playing. So I'm like, if we learn a song, I'm not going to tell you the chords as B flat, G, C, and F. I'll say one, six, four, five. And that forces them to immediately start to think uh, of a song, not just, oh, these are shapes, but like these are relationships that I can start to hear. And I try to get my kids lifting as early as I can um, mm. or playing in as many different keys. Like my standard first piano lesson with you know kids who are like three, four years old, I'll teach them E, D, and C. And I'll have them play a tune like Eau Claire de la Lune or like Mary Had a Little Lamb. And as soon as they do that, I'm say, okay, here's the note G. Play that melody starting on G. Here's the note B. And so they immediately don't start to think of music as being like, I see a dot that is a note and I put my finger on that note. And they say, instead, it's like, here's a sound and these sounds relate to each other. Mm. And I can be free to do that. And what's amazing is I find that when my students learn this way, improv improvisation is not scary to them because they're not locked into looking at a dot and making a sound. They're locked into hearing a sound and making a sound, singing a song and making a song, singing a song in a different key. And I'm more interested that my kids know 10 melodies than they know 10 exercises out of a book. Because if you know 10 melodies, that's like almost all of the melodic material you can make a music career out of, right? There's only so many melodies. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, to sort of wind up my long rant, you know, um, my approach from going from a schooled musician who can only read and only play and improvise by looking at a chord and thinking of the chord that I practice to someone who can sing and play and play different instruments and not really look at music ever anymore, yeah, yeah. Um, I feel has been beneficial for me. Um, yeah, yeah. And I try to give it to my students and I find that they all want to stick with it because it's a more natural process and it yeah, allows them it's to It's so freeing, isn't it? To like yeah. stop thinking about, you know, I, I have, I've had that experience a bit with my daughter, who's, a, I think, a little older than yours. Yeah, yeah. Mine's five. Oh, wow, yeah. It's and grown up. Uh, I've been trying to get her into tin whistle. Oh, no way. Yeah, and <laughs> I've been, like, we you know, we started taking lessons, yeah. and she stopped, and I just continued. Yeah. You know? But um, I'm doing it by ear. You know, yeah. I mean, that the Irish music tradition is by you. It's, it's an oral and, and it's oral tradition, and it's it's actually makes me a little nervous. Yeah, and sometimes, but uh, I, I do have to write them out sometimes. But it's like sort of like engaging that part of my brain just to help me memorize. Yeah, like I read it out once, and then I never have to read it because it's just part of my process. Oh man, but... we're as a musical culture, like we're deficient at that because we've never developed that skill and if exactly if you ever meet a folk musician you know i got to tour and do a bunch of folk festivals they have 300 tunes ready to go instant recall and they might be doing this part-time they might like work in an office and like oh you know i play the tin whistle for fun but they know 300 tunes because they have from day one they've been learning using their working memory right um and and that's what i try to do to my students i try to have as little uh I, I try to make them rely on their brains as much as possible. Um, and it's amazing. They're getting better than, like, my younger students have better pitch memory than me because they're doing it from a young age, mm. you know? And, and I really believe that's important. I mean, if we think about Indian music, right? Like, mm. the memorization skills that both North Indian and South Indian musicians have, they, they seem like absolute superstars to us. But it's not that remarkable because their tradition is an oral one. Right. Yeah. So while we were learning to read, which I, I don't want to slag reading, I think it's an important skill, but I think it's important in that it lets you play in an orchestra or a big band, which are two very like specific musical things. But in the context of all the music that's ever been made in the world and ever will be made, orchestra and big band is like a 2% slice of that. Oh, yeah. You know, so yep. and yet our education system is 95% orchestra and big band. And we wonder why we're having trouble 
being relevant now. It's because we're studying music. I don't want to say that's irrelevant, but we're focusing on a very small subset of music that isn't as relevant as it used to be. Mm. And I find that most of my success as a musician has been because I can play by ear, because I can play in different styles, because, um, and again, I'm never going to be a shredding jazz player or like a Juno winning trombonist. And I'm okay with that. You know, I like let go of that a long time ago. And I realized that I'm happier being a generalist. And I think generalists tend to make better teachers for beginners because you can, um, you can like really go with where they want to go versus I want you to be Joe Pass. I want you to be JJ Johnson. Right. I've taught literally hundreds of kids and not a single one has wanted to be Joe Pass or JJ Johnson. Right. And I'm okay with that. You know, we yeah, don't yeah. need another Joe Pass, another JJ yeah, Johnson. Yeah. We have enough of those. And it's, it's yeah. a little egotistical to try to be mm-hmm. someone else too. I mean, yeah. like I kind of want to say to those students, like, who do you, who are you though? Yeah. You know, absolutely. But, uh, you know, like, but, but I do do still believe that, you know, there's a pathway to your own self through studying a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then what resonates with you kind of eventually becomes who you are, mm-hmm. you know, in a way, or like, you know, the revelations of Joe pass can be put into the Nathan Hill, what Nathan Hill. Absolutely. Is, you and, you know, I, I have to say this as it gets like, as somebody who's primarily playing guitar for teaching and for my own enjoyment, um, it's really interesting because um, I've I've taken this like really holistic approach and applied it to myself. Where um, I guess the other big thing I haven't really talked to you about is I'm a huge solfege person, huge, huge, huge. Um, and and the idea is like when you hear a note, you should immediately know what that is in the key, right? Um, and and that's the skill that so many like quote unquote untrained musicians have. Is that, you know, I, I've played with so many, I think that the people who are the best at hearing a thing, playing a thing, hearing a thing, playing a thing, again, are people that don't read. And they may not even know solfege, but I guarantee they would be like, oh, yeah, well, okay, well, this is the note that feels like home, and this is the note that I'm hearing. Sure. You know, and that's also how most people experience music, right? Sure, like solfege is like a verbal representation yeah. of, I mean, you can use numbers too. Yeah, I mean, right? absolutely. Yeah. And and the, a few of my sort of star pupils are, are amazing at solfege. And I have kids who are nine years old who can play songs in 12 keys, who can lift tunes by ear. And so getting back to the guitar, it's really funny because I still play a lot. And sometimes I don't know the name of the note I'm playing, which is like cardinal sun number one, but I know it's the third. Yeah. I know it's the fifth and I know that as the third, it fits into this voicing. And and again, the the biggest thing though is I only really know that with major and minor triads. I haven't done the homework in applying that to like ninth chord, seventh chords, major sevens, drop two up and down the neck because that discipline, I don't have the time or energy for that discipline. And I think that's the amazing thing about jazz not to sell it short or that pedagogy short is you really explore every permutation of every sound in a really special way. Mm. And um, and it was interesting. I did my first lift on guitar. I, li- I lifted Hank Mobley's solo on Old Folks. Nice. Which is like probably my favorite recorded jazz solo on any instrument. Right. Um, and it was really fun because, because I already knew the notes from lifting it on other instruments. It was really cool to apply that to the guitar and... Right. This is great because, you know, this is actually mainly a guitar podcast, but Mm -hmm. occasionally I do a horn player. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to get RJ. But now we're talking about guitar. So Mm -hmm. this is, this works really well. All I want to do is talk about guitar. It's literally all I do is play guitar all day. I would like to share something about my concept. Uh, 
So, like, I, I love Solfege. Yeah. I, I, I teach ear training, actually. Oh, great. It's, like, one of my favorite things. Like, the numbers mm. are Solfege. And, yeah. And one of the, f- like, fundamental things that I teach people that want to learn with me is that they have to learn the five positions of caged. Yes, of course. Absolutely. Are you a caged? Yeah, yeah. So, when I when I think of caged, um, I don't, like, I guess for me, yeah, I don't. How do I think about it? So I make them learn the numbers yeah. in cage. Yeah. So you so know So that what? they can access that wherever they are. Yeah. That's where the thirds are. That's where the exactly. Are. And yeah. so the way I do that with myself and my students is I kind of have a matrix that I made, um, which I'll I'll share with you later. But basically, it's every key, right? All twelve keys, like vertically, and then what it is, is I'll pick a song, and then I'll say position one, two, three, four, five. Then another song, one, two, three. So so maybe one practice session will be. I will play Mary Had a Little Lamb in the key of C in all five positions. Or I'll play Mary Had a Little Lamb in fourth position in all 12 keys. Mm. Right? And then, and so I've, I've developed sort of an intuitive sense of where melodies go based on, and for me, it's like the major scale is kind of my roadmark. And then, yeah. as you know, every major scale has its own hand position. Yeah. You know, but the problem is, again, my I think the reason why I'm still not a very good jazz guitar player in terms of my soloing is that I haven't done that with the Dorian mode. I haven't done that, you know, in in modes as much as in keys, for lack of a better term. So I still find it hard to solo in tunes that really go to a lot of places. And mm-hmm. and it makes sense because I've only learned one jazz solo, but I've learned like I've learned a Slash solo, an Angus Young solo, a bunch of George Harrison. And you know that rock style is very much about playing in a key mm. versus playing changes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that, like I always use yeah. the word playing field. Yeah. Like these yeah. different positions are different playing fields mm-hmm. and you have to kind of get a sense of what it's like. And each one kind of have, has its own language, like mm-hmm. like Slash preferred here. Or, yeah. You know, I could say Grant Green preferred this or Joe Pass preferred yeah. this back yeah. position. And then their, their sort of phrasing works well in these different positions. Yeah. So there's almost like some stylistic things that, that are met with mm-hmm. technique things, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, cool. and it's amazing too, you know, like, I mean, one of the things from learning like you know because when i learned to play on frets first i learned to play bass and i was like past a certain fret i was really a one finger per fret person right and so much of the rock guitar thing is like stretching from your third finger to your first finger and not using the pinky (laughs) you know what i mean and so one of the decisions i made was like i was trying to learn solos i was like you know what my pinky is kind of dominant so even though when i see this person play it and they're doing this bend using their third finger i'm gonna use my pinky because that's just kind of what I learned. You that know? could be like your secret technique. Yeah, the pinky yeah. bends. The pinky bends or, you know, nice. I don't know. And it's like, I think as I mentioned to you, know, I think there was this thing where these instruments haven't been around long enough to say, you know, that there's this like one perfect technique, right? It's like, it's so, it's so personal, which I think is great. Oh, yeah, you yeah. Know? guitar is such so wide open. It's so easy to find music that's never been played on the guitar. Yeah, yeah. I, I find, I really like that. And and for me, speaking of learning about guitar, I think the person I've been listening to the most through the pandemic was Julian, I don't know if it's Lage or Lage or Leg, but mm-hmm. I think we know who we're talking about. Yeah, Julian Lodge. I yeah. always call him Julian Lodge. Yeah, know. and man, it's just like, I, I can't get enough of the way he plays because... It's that combination of clearly he knows every single permutation of every single thing, right? <laughs> but he plays with this freedom and he plays in his own style, right? Like it's not bebop, it's not rock and roll. It's like he's just playing beautiful melodies that are his, mm-hmm. you know? And it's just like the most inspiring stuff to listen to. I don't know if you've checked out his solo guitar record, World's Fair. Oh, yeah, yeah. Man, yeah. like perfect. 
Yeah, totally, man. He's, he's a beautiful player. He's like the next. He's the next guy. He's yeah, like, yeah, he's yeah, amazing. yeah. And he's like beautiful soul too. Like I've been checking out his, uh, yeah, his, uh, his like stuff on YouTube where he just talks about music and he's just so kind and gentle. And... Yeah, calling to jazz is hard. I mean, yeah, like it's late. Those are labels that they need on iTunes or something yeah. like that. Like to to like categorize stuff. But mm-hmm. I'm I'm with Ellington, man. Music is best. Yeah, best enjoyed rather than discussed. Of course, and you know? uh, and I think there's a reason that he sells out the mod club. Like he doesn't come and play the Rex. He'll come and play the mod club. Yeah, because his musicality transcends genre, and there's still so many people that love just the guitar. That might get turned off by like, I don't know, for like lack of a better term, like someone like I don't know, like like uh, Galide Hexelman or someone who's like this really like guitar yeah. players, guitar player for jazz and like who I love. I'm not saying he's, but you know what I mean. It's like, but there's something about Julian's approach and his style and the tunes that he chooses that yeah. are like so universal. Yeah, I think non-guitarists can love him, like yeah. Bill Frizzell or something like that. Exactly. Like, you it's, know, anybody sort can, of call him the like, non-musicians can actually enjoy yeah. Julian Lodge's yeah. music. Oh, I mean, you know, well, my litmus yeah. test is if I can put it on at dinner with my family and everyone's cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know? nice. It's like, yeah. I remember, I remember like when I was first dating my wife and I like took her to the Rex to see like the Matt Stevens group and Matt is like, one of my absolute favorite guitarists, um, and he's just a great dude, and I'm lucky to know him. Um, but I remember, <laughs> I remember, like, you know, she's very honest, and I was like, "Oh, what do you, how what do you think?" She's like, "There was a lot going on," <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and I was like, "Yes, there's a lot going on. That's what I want. It's the best." <laughs> and again, this is if Matt, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I love you, dude. It's not about about that as much as, um, you know, there's. I think that like. Uh, yeah, there's a universality to some music that's amazing. And it doesn't mean that any music is better or worse, right? I'm not saying that A is better than B. It's just like where you're at in time and what you're listening to. Mm. Um, speaking of which, I think we should play before we run out of time, right? Yeah, I'd love to play. Uh, yeah. well, uh, you mentioned the Julian Lodge tune, right? Yes. Yeah. Or actually, it's not by him. It's... No, it's by Roy Orbison, right? Great Roy Orbison. Um, yeah. I think this is his like most viewed thing on YouTube. I don't know if you see it like... He got. He made. He's also made music videos, which I think is a really smart idea. Oh yeah. Um, with like really great lighting and you know that whole thing. Yeah, you know, I I did see this video. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So. Cool. Uh, yeah. Why don't we play through this tune? Let's do it. In, Love hurts. In his style. So I guess. Um, should we like each? We'll play through the head. Maybe each take an A and then bridge out. Sounds good. Okay. Cool. Do you want to count it in? Sure. Thank mm-hmm. you. 
nice sound on that instrument oh you know it's funny i it, i actually haven't been playing the only instrument i haven't been playing has been the bass because you know no one wants to learn the bass so i've mostly been playing guitar but you know i've had a sort of a a, long, a circuitous journey with the instrument you know i think i think when i first started playing i like was really about trying to gig as much as i could and playing every band and i think i spread myself too thin and i had a lot of issues with like anxiety and and performance issues and it was kind of I, it was a, a learning experience, and in a way, I think the pandemic has helped me sort of find the joy in playing again, and like losing some of the fear and just not being afraid. Mm. And uh, good, yeah, you know, like and, fear, fear of performing on the bass. Yeah. Oh, it was bad. I because you've done some pretty significant. Oh no, I was playing the, with some like bands. big artists. Yeah, like yeah, I, and you know, yeah. it, I think. I think for me, you know, it it manifested physically. I had a lot of issues with cramping and my hands shaking. And, and it's because I never, 
really took the time to like slow down and really think about what I was doing. And I think, um, you know, not to get too personal, but I think we tie up our personal identity and our happiness to how others perceive us so much with music. And, and I was definitely quite guilty of that. And I still am. I still, it's not something I've conquered, but I'm working on it, you know? Mm. And, uh, and actually like, you know, I think the best thing I did for my own happiness was I started saying no. And I really quit a bunch of bands and stopped playing as much and focused more on teaching and focused more on playing exactly what I wanted to play. Nothing more, nothing less. And uh, and almost weirdly trying to see music as a hobby again and performing as a hobby versus my job, you know, mm. and and I sort of see teaching as my main thing and the mm. thing that I put my work into and I make my money with. And more of my identity, I think, is that because it's something I'm glad that, that you yeah. love teaching. Like you can tell yeah. that you love teaching. Mm. And I also love teaching. Yeah. I even love teaching beginners. Oh, like same. Some people will say to me, oh, well, I, you know. I want they want to tell me how good they are so they can study with me or something like that. And I'm like, no, man, it doesn't matter. I'm easy. Like I, I love the whole path. You mm-hmm. know? Uh, yeah. But it's good that you love it because not all teachers no, love it. No, <laughs> you know, I think a lot don't love I it. I mean, actually. I mean, we've all been that person, right? Uh, where we're at a gig and someone comes up to the separate and be like, oh, that was amazing. You know, I I played guitar, but like I hated X, Y, and Z about guitar. Or my teacher made me do this. Or my parents made me do this. And every time I hear that, it's like tragic, you know, and and I wake up every morning determined to never be that teacher, mm. you know, and try to be the opposite, because I really think that if we are going to keep this kind of music alive, we have to like create a generation of listeners and appreciators as much or more than players, you know, and I try to teach more to be like in 10 years, if I don't see this person again, how will they feel about the guitar and how will they feel about listening to and enjoying music? And if that's a positive association, even if they never played more than three songs or practiced three times, I consider it a success. And that's mm. how I try to do everything uh, in my life, not just with teaching, you know? Mm. That's, yeah. a great, that's a great outlook, OJ. Mm-hmm. I really mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. And the hardest part is convincing ourselves of that, right? Yeah. <laughs> like with our, our own selves. That's, uh, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, I yeah. know, man. Yeah, like making records and stuff. Like, yeah. it, is there like a, a dream musical project that you sort of have that you want to do one day? Like, what is the next thing that's, that you want to express it's a great, musically? Great question, man. You know, it, I, I've always, um, I've sort of both luckily and unluckily, I've never had that like drive to always create that so many of my friends have. I've always just enjoyed sort of playing and being around it, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think, like, for me, um, when I have a bit more, like, headspace, I think it would be really fun to learn a bit more about recording well and, like, trying to take all the things I do and, like, put them into one thing. Less to, like, share it with the world and more just to, like... I um, The process really intrigues me. But I have to say, I've been lucky enough... I'm, like, lucky enough to play in one of my favorite bands which is the heavyweights like that if, if anyone asks like what band i'm in that's the band i'm in and that's, that's the band, thing yeah. you know because you know it's that you know getting back to what i was saying about like the musical dna like yeah i guess we play jazz we all went to jazz school to some degree but it's it's really a band about playing music that feels good that comes from the black tradition and all of its like myriad forms and it makes people feel great um all last summer we were playing on the rail path uh every saturday and we just, we made people really happy. You know, it was like people coming out with their kids and going for runs and stopping and just 
being in a space where you're safe and it's outside and are you guys going to do that again yeah this so we're starting up on the fifth actually oh so, man the, yeah yeah to, how do people find out yeah about that? so the easiest way is if you follow our instagram at heavyweights bb um you know we always post the day before and the day of um but the plan is until we can't starting june 5th um 11 a.m uh wallace avenue exit on the rail path um you'll hear us you can't miss us and <laughs> it's it's been a really great thing and and we're excited to get back to it and we also just made a record we actually made the record the week the world was falling apart in march 2020 like we had just finished our last take and all our phones started going off with all the canceled gigs um so we're sitting on that and it's very close to release i think we just got it mastered uh justin gray mastered it which we're very excited about um patrick mcgordy and tom richards uh recorded and engineered it and did all this amazing post work so uh, yeah, we're excited to do something with it soon. That's the plan. Oh, man. Yeah. Congratulations oh, on all cheers, that. Cheers, man. I can't wait to hear it. Yeah. And, uh, I can't wait to see you in the flesh. I know. It's been too long. I know. You know? And we live so close, so we should start playing more outside in the neighborhood. We should get some yeah, stuff happening. Maybe yeah. when we get another shot, we can play some ball. Maybe, oh, you or... know it, buddy. Hillcrest right. Park. Yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. So thank you so much for being my, my guest. Pleasure, my pleasure. My pleasure, It's really thank great you. to like get a look at what you've been doing and what you did and how yeah. you got where you're at. So. Well, it's nice to play music with a person in time. I can't believe it. (laughs) All right. All right, Nathan. All right. See you later. Cheers.